Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, brought to you by a writer and an agent who both believe that education is key. The beauty is the people you meet along the way, and that community makes all the difference. Here at the Manuscript Academy, you can learn the skills, make the connections, and have access to experts all from home. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Zinsheimer. Put down your pens, pause your word counts, and enjoy. So tonight on the Manuscript Academy podcast, we are here with Kiana Nguyen. She is delightful. She's fun. I met her at my young agent support group. And yes, we need support <laughs> groups too, because it's tough on us as well. Kiana, thank you yeah, so thank much you for, for having joining me. This is so fun. Well, I'm so happy that you're here because you were one of those people who, when I met you, I was like, you're so cool. Everyone needs to know you. What can we do to make everyone know you? <laughs> and and I felt like you have some of that California energy too, oh, you know, yeah. like you're, you're chill, you're fun. It's, it's yeah, all no, it's so I love having a good time and making people smile and laugh. And as you know, we've had a conversation, I love just throwing out those zingers. I think, uh, watching the Sandlot as a kid really made me want to have like an iconic phrase. And so I just say a lot of funny stuff all the time. (laughs) (laughs) So Kiana, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are? Yeah, So I am an assistant literary agent um, with Donald Moss Literary Agency. I've been working there for about over a year now. um, When I first came in as an intern uh, last summer, so I actually didn't even know that I wanted to work in publishing for until I, right before I worked in publishing. Um, a couple of years ago, after I went through this like crazy breakup that I wrote a book about. And so I'm one of those people that when I was a kid, I was always writing and I always loved stories. And so I had always thought of publishing from a writer's perspective. And then I entered the Simon & Schuster contest that was on Twitter. It was like pretty much a raffle to be killed as a character in this thriller book. Um, yeah, so it was really cool. And I won and, um, the book is actually called Hostile Takeover by Shane Kuhn. It's a sequel to his book, um, The Intern's Assassin. The funny thing is when I was communicating with his publicist, one of them, um, really liked me and she is the president of Wonderkind, um, publicity, which is an independent, uh, publicity firm for publishing. Um, and she offered me an internship. So (laughs) it's a really funny segue into getting into the publishing industry on the business side. And I really fell in love with it. And that's kind of how I learned all about the different kind of departments, editorial. So you got your, Oh no. (laughs) And then I had just graduated college at, I mean, I didn't graduate. I dropped out of college at that point. Um, and then I just kept a couple odd jobs in the city, which is where I did my park rangering. And then at the start of 2016, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I did an AmeriCorps program in California. So in San Jose, um, doing urban forestry. And towards the end of that, in the spring, I was like, I knew that publishing had a lot of internships going on then. Like they were had their application processes open. So I just started to apply to a couple of different editorial and, um, uh, editorial internships and agency internships. And at this point I had been very active on Twitter in publishing just cause I wanted to keep up with, um, authors that I liked. And I ended up following a bunch of different agents and editors and stuff like that, kind of learning a little bit more that way. And that's how I got my internship with Donald Moss because Amy Boggs, who was an agent at the time, um, knew me from Twitter and, she picked up my application and she saw things that she liked and thought we worked well together. And after an interview that we did, she offered me a position. 
And it was great. It was a paid, yeah, it was a paid internship, which was one of the requirements that I needed because I was coming back to New York off of like working. You don't get paid in the mirror course. It's all, you just get enough for a living stipend. So I really wanted a job or internship position where I could be able to, you know, kind of make my way a little bit. So I was really lucky to find an internship with a literary agency that was paid position. That's great. And I also love how that proves that people aren't just wasting time on Twitter. (laughs) I feel like that's a common misconception, but I've, and I always say this to anyone really, especially people who struggle with not feeling that they're adequate enough to apply for certain positions. I feel like obviously skills and your talent in whatever field matters, but at the end of the day, people want to work with people that they like. And especially in publishing where it's a very mm-hmm. much a s- small community, um, getting to know people and just kind of treating everyone in a friendly manner and like not being afraid to interact with, um, industry folks is a really a great way of kind of building a, your own sense of community in something that seems very, um, private, if that makes sense. It does because it's not like we're super open about the inner work. Yeah. And it's like one of those ones that you don't really even know how to get into necessarily. So I think it's really great that there are so many, um, editors and agents and PR people that are active on Twitter and kind of give you a friendly face sort of. So if you were going to advise someone who didn't know anyone in publishing, but wanted to work in the industry and had Twitter, what would you say they should Mm. do? It does feel weird just randomly tweeting out at a person, especially if they're sort of a professional. Um, But if you just like kind of keep an eye on tweets that that person tweets, like for instance, I'll just give myself an example. Like I'll tweet pop culture references to TV shows and movies. And it's always just, um, I love interacting with people that I feel like have common interests with me. So I usually interact with people who write back and reply about what they liked about that show or if they like another show. And it's just, if you just treat Twitter as a conversation starter and you kind of figured it that way, I feel like it's very easy for people to get to know you. And then a lot of different industry people have like ask agents and those kind of question opportunities for people to blankly ask questions out. So there are many different ways that Twitter can be used um, to, kind of start relationships and a rapport with people. I know also, uh, I know so many different bloggers and aspiring published writers and stuff like that who I've met just from interacting on Twitter, like a conversation. Yeah. And it's amazing because it's like a happy hour that mm-hmm. anyone can attend regardless of where they are. As long as you're not, um, just, um, you know, treating us like we're encyclopedias for publishing knowledge. I'm pretty sure <laughs> most interactions will be great. The, the most that you could get in a negative uh, way is just no response. I feel like if you're being, you know, respectful and friendly. I feel like if you're respectful, most people will respond to yeah. you eventually. And maybe not the first time. Like, you can't expect you're going to get a 100% response rate. But if you say clever things and you kind of hang around and you like their tweets and you're just like a nice positive force, eventually, if you don't panic, it's going to probably turn into a sort of online friendship. And that yes, can open exactly. so many doors. <laughs> I agree. So what do you do when you're not working in publishing and you're not on Twitter? Um, I live a really boring, low-key life. Um, (laughs) So I spend a lot of my uh, spare time reading or writing. Lately, I've just been binge-watching a lot of different series on Netflix. 
Like what? What are some shows people can talk to you oh, about? Oh, yeah. So I really, well, right now I'm in a binge watch of Living Single because it was like one of my favorite shows when it was running um, on Oxygen as a, when I was a kid. It's really funny this, and good. But Friends is actually a complete ripoff of Living Single. Like a complete bland oh. white ripoff. And they have the same set of friends with the same personalities. They all live in New York. You know what I mean? It's like if you like couldn't put them side to side, it's friends is completely unoriginal and not funny in my opinion. <laughs> That's too bad. Wow. I mean, it is so clever and it was shocking mm-hmm. to me how interesting it was. It just came up on my Hulu and I yeah, was like, Oh, I'll try that. Queen Latifah. And I'm their, re- their relationships yes, are so, so organic. Good. Right. And the dialogue <laughs> is so funny. That one line of like, what would a, a world be without men? And it's like a bunch of yeah. happy women, no crime. <laughs> Love it so much. <laughs> I just, yeah, I probably woke up my neighbors laughing. <laughs> and other than that, I have been ooh, watching my Mad Pet Diary that's on Hulu right now. It's like a British show that started in the early 2010s, around that way. And it's like about this um, a girl that just got released from a psychiatric ward for because she you know was uh Mm. self-harming but it's a really funny kind of portrayal on anxiety and kind of mental illness that's really like heartwarming and awesome i've also been watching um (laughs) foster's home for imaginary friends i don't know if you know it. it's an animated cartoon network show (laughs) yeah so i I watch a bunch of different funny things and i really love basically sci-fi and family sitcoms and all over the spectrum. <laughs> so if there was no publishing, what would um, you do? If there was no publishing and if I was rich or my family had money, I would definitely probably have gone in um, a PhD in anthropology. <laughs> That's like what I wanted to study. That's wow. what I went to study college for. Um, I just really love people and history and anthropology is this really cool mix of history but from the humanistic perspective so how we interacted with the environment and how we and that how that informed how we interacted with other people it's just like bringing the people into history rather than just kind of getting this rote sort of not to say that history is boring but a lot a lot of it is just um documents and point like facts whereas anthropology is like really kind of just seeing how we're shaped throughout history by the circumstances that we are living in at any given time. I think that's like so cool and I'm so nerdy about it. (laughs) So I probably would have wanted to go into a a PhD program and actually do some field study, but it's really expensive and it's you, I would be in a whacker load of debt if I ever got that far now. That's a really cool answer. I don't think anyone said get my PhD. (laughs) You were the first, which is really funny (laughs) because uh, school didn't really work out for me in a lot of ways. It probably depends on your program and your professors and your major and all of that. I'm just one of those people that I feel, I want to feel productive and in a lot of ways, college is still just like sitting in a room for an hour that I felt like I could be doing something else. So also people who are interested in publishing, you do not need a college degree. It is helpful because it's kind of like one of those minimum requirements, but I don't think it's a hundred percent necessary either. Yeah. I think you could spend the time just mm-hmm. reading books Yes, and you'd be okay. That's how I did it. <laughs> yeah. I think that's really interesting because so much of our industry is learned yes. on the job. And I think it probably helps to have a little bit of context and to have read the same books that people are talking about, but that's all you actually yeah, it's, need. Um, you don't need like 
any kind of class to learn how to keep up on market as long as you're like maybe even just keeping to bestseller lists and then kind of branching out on different genres and whatever categories they're interested in. You can pretty much learn how to do it from home, you know, in your own spare time. Yeah, you can definitely get the background from home and then you could, I feel like um, the things you need on a day-to-day basis, you would probably have to learn from a person. But again, you don't have to pay for that knowledge except for, unfortunately, supporting yourself while you intern. Exactly. Um, So what's something you've changed your mind about in your time in the industry? Uh, This is probably something that anyone could guess from just looking at my Twitter uh, feed. (laughs) But I never really realized how white publishing was in terms of books that are published, especially in fiction and like how there aren't a lot of people of color in actual jobs and stuff. So that really was like an eye opener in terms of that. But, But not to say that there isn't a lot of work to change that. I also think that we need to get to a place where it's across the board, a living wage. Yeah. And that will help. I actually just learned recently from an editor friend that, um, you know, she used to get salary and that she doesn't like, I I was really curious about what happens if you were an editor of a book that becomes like a bestseller and they don't even, Mm -hmm. even bonuses aren't something that's like a guaranteed thing. And I thought that was so strange. I knew an editor who had a New York Times bestseller, multi-week, really successful, and she couldn't even get promoted because someone had to leave for her to go up. That's so strange to me. I don't don't understand the thinking there because I feel like in any, um, I'm not really sure, I don't know specifics, but I feel like in industries like ours that the people on the top are getting paid so much and then the people who are actually doing the groundwork just you know, are barely surviving. And that's like ridiculous to me. It's interesting too, how on the agenting side, you're working, working, working (laughs) and hoping. And, you know, you feel, and it's not actually true for the longest time. I was like, I am one runaway bestseller from a Tribeca loft (laughs) that is so big that a great piano looks small in it. Um, it would actually take several one runaway bestsellers for that to happen. Um, it took me, it took me a while to realize that to watch my friends get runaway bestsellers and, their lives didn't really change that much. Um, but then, yeah, the editors kind of start out at a certain place and pretty much stay. Mm-hmm. They don't get these huge uh, spikes in yeah, salary. Yeah, but if you watch The Proposal, which I love, that's one of my favorite romantic comedies, you would never know that. <laughs> that's true. Um, even yeah. Younger does not do a very good <laughs> like, job. And then rent's only increasing, so. Yeah, that's exciting. So what do you wish writers knew about things on our side of the um, I wish that writers were able to conceptualize that nothing that we do is personal. Like if you're not getting a, a response back for a query, if you're getting like form rejections and stuff like that, that that has nothing to do with you one-on-one. It's just like all about time management on our end. Um, I always feel like I always see, especially the ones who uh, sort of reply to form rejections about the form rejection and um, just who express, you know, hurt feelings or anger um, to that. And it just, it really upsets me that people could think that people uh, think that that's directed to towards them individually when it's really just a way for us to try to manage how much that we get, because there's only so many of us, but there's so many writers out there and so much in mail, um, emails and queries and submissions and stuff that we have to go through. And I always feel like if that's one thing that I could get, um, writers to understand is that we don't think that they're annoying or that we hate them or that they're bad at what they do, which is we're trying to kind of manage our work a little easier. 
Yeah, I always run into that. And it's one of those things where we can say over and over again, guys, it's not you. It's just sheer quantity. And they all say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. You get a lot of emails. No, you don't get it. Especially, um, I only have one client now that I just signed last week. But um, I can imagine having a handful of clients even and trying to get their, do their work, you know, edits and revision notes, and then just going out on submission and getting contacts together. There's so much that goes into it. And so much of even on my end, and I'm only working with, I've just got my first client. I had so much of my work goes into my personal life and I'm still behind. Yeah. I think though, that no matter where you are in your career, you probably will feel behind. I agree. Um, I don't think I know anyone who actually really feels <laughs> caught up. That's something I have to. <laughs> <laughs> I I think it's one of those things you just have to develop a certain comfort with knowing you're never going to be caught up and knowing that you're always going to be mm-hmm. keeping people waiting and they're always going to have feelings about that because you know sometimes I think about like okay what's in my query inbox right now all right six to eight weeks of people's hopes and dreams and emails. And if I just think about the emotional weight of what everyone in my inbox is going through at any given time, it's just so much, right? And I want to keep thinking of them as people and I want to give them um, the most personal response I can given the time and not keeping everyone waiting longer because often it's a choice of do I want to be thoughtful or do I want to be fast? Um, ultimately I concluded everyone can be fast. Not everyone can be thoughtful the way I am. So I'm learning, leaning on, you know, the thoughtful side. Um, but it is, it's a lot, it's a, it's a lot for all of us to kind of take on and just think about as something that's always there and kind of hanging over us. So sorry. That's not going to go away. <laughs> yeah. It's a really unfortunate part of the process. <laughs> But at the same time, it's it's kind of hopeful because if you get anything other than a form letter, that means so. Yes, that's true. Much. That's true. And I, um, I honestly, okay, maybe this is more to, it's that to take a form letter to mean uh, pretty much absolutely nothing about your book other than the it wasn't for the agent because form letters really don't say anything other than an agent's passing, right? Yeah, they just say no. I'm sorry. I mean, if I say something like your writing is great, but this is not for me. That is to be taken as a genuinely hopeful sign or, um, you know, not this one, but send me your next book. That means that I think you're talented. It's just, I just think Mm -hmm. you need more time. Time is such an important ingredient in all of this. So what is something that isn't nearly as scary or hopeless as writers fear it is? Mm -hmm. Scary or hopeless. I think it's also... Maybe finding writer friends. <laughs> you know, I think that, um, especially like on my feed, I see all these, a lot of writers who are in a CP group and they're always like really excited about each other's work and talking about that. And I feel like sometimes it can be scary to think that, you know, when am I going to find my CP or when am I going to find my writer group friends that can be just as great as this other group? I feel like that can be really daunting. Yeah. Um, but if you kind of do a little bit of, googling and stuff there are so many different cp matches and stuff like that and then even kind of following like you know m querying or m writing tags you could meet so many different other writers there's so many writers out there who are in the same space as you and who are looking for a, a 
cool white writer group to like, you know, vent and share and be joyful with in writing. It's actually kind of amazing how many writers are having all of the same feelings and experiences yes. at the same time. <laughs> and none of them want to yes. do it alone. That's the thing. None of them want to be going through this very difficult, stressful process alone. So there are hundreds, thousands, maybe tens of thousands of writers out there who would love to support you and have you support them. It's just a matter of Yeah. I mean, and if you consider like writing is such a lonely endeavor, just because you're the only one that can do the work that, um, Mm -hmm. it's, you just naturally want to kind of reach out of yourself and find others to share with in the experience with and the joys and the lows with. So it's really, that's the really great thing. There are billions of people out there in the world. So there has to be someone for you, right? Do you have a favorite resource for finding um, I don't, but I do know that they, there's a CP match that's hosted on Twitter a couple times a year. Right now, I think Writer's Party, which is, I'm pretty sure that the, the, the tweet, the Twitter account is just Writer's Party, right? Yeah, Writer's Party. So if you add that, they're doing a CP match on their blog right now. It's super easy. Just kind of comment in the comment section of the page, the post, um, you know, what your category is, the genre is about a little blurb and then other commenters can see, and then you guys can switch pages and see if you're a good match for each other. Mm-hmm. That's so yeah, nice. it's really cool. I think it's still going on right now. So I don't know if it will by the time of this posting, but I think they do that a couple of times too in a year, but there are a handful of things that I think that go on that around DV pit. If you're a diverse writer, you know, marginalized mm-hmm. in some way, um, there are, that's a good way to actually meet other writers. That's how I've met the handful of people that I would go out with, um, my manuscript with ask for critiques and stuff. Just when you, during around the time, a lot of people are really active in the tag and that's a good way to find other writers and writer friends. It's really awesome. You could even see a nice, um, pitch yes. that you really like and just say, Hey, that's really cool. Yeah, that's Let's exactly how I became friends with all of my friends. I made through deep pit. You just oh, gotta get nice. that little bit of courage to be like, yeah, I guess I can do this. Like what's the worst that can happen, you know? And, and like, like you said earlier, like writers just want to find other writers. So definitely you can't exactly. have too many friends. I mean, and especially as an adult, I don't even know how to make friends in real life anymore. <laughs> yeah. Cause you're, you're, you kind of work and then you go home. Right. And then where do you meet people to be? Friends? I don't know. I don't know how it works. I'm really confused by it. I imagined your experience being very different versus I was like, I met you and I was like, yeah, she's cool. Let's be friends. Yeah. It's really lucky. I glommed onto you. You didn't realize, but you did not glom. You did not glom. It was all manipulative. <laughs> No. <laughs> um, so is it strange to be both an agent and a writer at the same time? Because I know yeah. we exist, but most people aren't just like, hey, I'm also writing yeah. a book. I think it is definitely strange. Um, yeah, actually, it's really definitely for me, me particularly because my first finished book ended up being a new adult book, which is, as you know, not marketable. So agents don't re- represent it. They're not taking it on because you can't sell it to publishers. So I'm in this really weird place of like, should I self-publish, which new adult is, um, do, which really does well in, or just shelving it because I feel like maybe it wouldn't be the best thing to be an agent that's self-publishing a book. So there's like so many different things to think about, um, particularly as an agent um, and a publishing person in terms of uh, my writing career. And then I also think it's, 
also kind of a hurdle for me, or maybe not a hurdle, but something that I really make sure to tell potential clients that I'm a writer as well, because I don't, um, and then discuss how that really in, in, uh, affects my work, which it doesn't. My first priority is being an agent and working for my clients and kind of finding time around that to write. So it's very been a very interesting way to navigate because as a writer, it's kind of, you have this thing where like, you know, I'm writing all the time, et cetera, et cetera. Like the sort of like mysterious um, vision of what a writer is and like the struggling artist. <laughs> uh, so I do think that I live in a very uh, weird place of trying to verbalize and like materialize what's priority in my life and in my career and especially to other writers who, who want to work with me. Well, it's really strange to me too, because a lot of agents do more than just agent, but for some reason, if they write, people assume, Oh, that means you have a little studio in a basement (laughs) with no light. And you emerge maybe one hour a day to talk to other people. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) And, yeah, I mean, why why is it so much scarier to admit to being a writer than admit to doing all of the any number of things that agents do to support themselves? I think, um, what I've been finding is that a lot of writers are afraid that their agents will leave the industry to write full time really? because a lot of writers dreams to write full time. But I think that's also like a misconception that a lot of writers have is like the dream of writing full time. But that's not the reality for most writers. Yeah, people. Yeah, especially if they're agenting yeah. too, they can absolutely have that mm-hmm. as a passion as well. I mean, you can be passionate about yes, more than exactly. one thing. I totally agree with you. <laughs> yeah, that's so strange. The idea that people should only do one thing in their lifetimes. I mean, there are so many people who are musicians and sculptors, or you know, musicians mm. and parents, or <laughs> <laughs> like. Like, how is that more compatible? I never quite understood Yeah, I feel that. like, uh, wouldn't you want someone who could see it from both sides? I feel like it really, because <laughs> um, like my empathy, yeah. or, you know, my craft in terms of... Uh, exactly. Exactly. You're not going to be like, oh, you're so impatient. <laughs> Why are you so... I'd be like, no, I totally understand. <laughs> what do you mean from? this is hard? <laughs> exactly. I actually think agents should have to send out their work at some point just to see yeah. how much it hurts. And let me tell you, it, <laughs> it never down. gets better as being working in the publishing side and getting rejected as a writer. I'm telling you, <laughs> it's a full circle thing. But are you able to be like, Oh, form rejection no, doesn't matter. Definitely not. <laughs> Logically. <laughs> sure. But emotionally I'm crying. <laughs> I bet that's a lot of writers who hear over and over again that form rejections don't yeah, mean anything. Yeah. No, I couldn't. I try to tell myself that, but of course it feel it always feels personal because you're usually writing from a personal space. Yeah. You're not going to bother to write about something you don't care about, but I'm just like, no, think about it. Like if you didn't, nope, I can't think of a good example, (laughs) but I'm sure there is one out there. I mean, it's just something people are so invested in. I don't see how you can be that invested in something and not be upset. Even if you know, how little it means. It's like, you know, grief and stuff. It's just like you have, you go through steps and eventually you can, it's, you can live through it. So if you had Google level funding and the ability to spend 20% of your time making something, let what would me you make? tell you the Jetsons was one of my favorite shows as a child. So being able to create some kind of teleportation device would be my thing. Yes. 
Whether it's like you could actually teleport as a whole human from one place to another or teleport objects. Because sometimes I just want a pizza and I don't want to get up and get it and I don't want to wait for it to be delivered. (laughs) (laughs) So you could teleport yourself and an object. So, for example, I could go to Chicago, get a Chicago pizza and bring it back. Instantly. I like that. Where's, where's the technology? I mean, <laughs> I feel like we've been promised this from all, like all of these shows from the past about the 2000s were so wrong. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, and it's like, we have all this weird technology. We just can't afford yeah. to make it happen. Kind of like that. Um, we have the technology now, I believe, to make a train that can go between New York and San Francisco what? in under an hour. We just, yeah, at 4,000 miles an hour, we just can't afford to do it. (laughs) Yeah, we do. (laughs) I'm going to post a link in the show notes because, like, I'm going to explain it horribly. But, yes, we have the technology for this, but it would mean making a tunnel under the entire country, and that's really expensive. I I can't even imagine. But also, if it's traveling that's long, can a person, like, comfortably withstand that speed? Uh, It. It only gets to full speed in the middle. Oh, God. I have to read up. I can't wait to read up more on this. Um, You've you've (laughs) struck the flames of curiosity. I am so into trains. I love trains. I am obsessed with this map of what the trains looked like in the 1800s in New York. And you could go from New York to my little teeny tiny hometown in California back then. And you can't do it now because they've all been, you know, purchased and destroyed. But... I just, I want this map so it can be like, let's do it though. It's so wild to me how there are so many creations and stuff like that that just become obsolete over time. But why? Well, in this case, because uh, car companies and oil companies bought them and shut them down. Uh. (laughs) Oh. So what's a memory of one of your early days agenting Uh, in New York? One of my first jobs in the city uh, was working as a part-time as a Highline Ranger. So the Highline is the park that was built on a railroad um, in the Meatpacking District. It's so it cool. Is I love that so park. cool. And it's like the greatest place ever. I worked there because I didn't ever see myself working a nine-to-five job um, in an office every day, which is also like the great thing about being an agent too. It's like it's so flexible. You can kind of work from anywhere. So honestly, so thankful that this mm-hmm. is something that I fell in love with. But um, so that's why I started working in the park. And one time I saw Max Adler, who played Dave Karofsky in Glee. And <laughs> in the show, he plays like this, like really horrible bully character that's like kind of the bad guy. But he's literally a sweetheart in real life. And I saw him and I kid you not, I was just like patrolling the park. So obviously like trying to be quote unquote official. And I saw him and I kind of like screeched and then I accidentally made eye contact with him. So I was like (laughs) screeching like, and then like covering my face, making eye contact with him. And he actually came up to me and tried to talk to me and say hi. And he introduced himself and I could not even speak. Like I couldn't. I've also seen like, (laughs) he was so nice about it too. Like I, I I just, he's such a sweetheart. And I also saw Matthew Gay Googler there once. It's a great it's park. A great it's a really park. great. Um, oh, now that I wanted, to, I mean, it's just cool. I kind of go on and like talk about it for a minute or something. But I feel like a lot of um, people don't know about these. Like, free parks are free resources for the public, and the Highline is definitely one. And I feel like it kind of feels like a bougie sort of atmosphere because it is in Chelsea and is in me um, packing district that's kind of been renovated over and gentrified over the last five ten years. 
but it's really such a great place if you can make it all the way to Manhattan to see free art because they change their art um, that they have displayed in the park every summer. So it's not, it's something new every time, every um, year, every time you go. And then all the plants are so different and it's open year round. And I think it's just a really great resource and public parks and public spaces where you can have plant life and uh, like kind of free, they have a, a lot of free programs and activities too for families, for kids, for teens and for adults. They have a salsa night. Like I think it's just a really great space. And I wish that a lot of more like the people from lower income neighborhoods knew about it and more POC were visiting and stuff. Cause it's, it's just a great place. <laughs> it's a really special place. My friend's fiance oh, proposed to yeah, her there yeah. actually. Yeah. And so we were walking it the day before and she was like, okay, stand here. Here's the camera. Here's how you focus. I'm going to walk her over here. We're going to stand in front of this bush. Um, like, and so I was waiting on these little benches with um, champagne and little coffee cups to like pour it into. And I was sitting on, it was kind of like little bleachers and all these hipsters were around me. I'm like, hi, I'm so sorry, but my friend's going to propose to my other friend right there. Can I like, you know, edge in to get a better view? I've got this camera. And they're like, oh, yay. It was adorable. Um, and she chose that place because it was just something yeah. that meant something to uh -huh. both of them, you know? And they'd been there before and they would go to Chelsea market and get food and go there. And, um, it was just a really beautiful, like, you know, a moment that could happen really in a public New York space. And yeah, it was really funny because <laughs> I was watching through the viewfinder and I saw it <laughs> cause I was kind of far away and it had this great lens. And so, um, I was watching all this <laughs> happen and then finally I saw her, um, her wife kind of just Are pointed you at me. Right now? Oh <laughs> I saw her face like what? <laughs> and she's like, oh my God, she's here. <laughs> so I have a picture of her like realizing I was oh, there and like eggs. planted as paparazzi. <laughs> I've seen like engagements, I've seen weddings, I've seen breakups, I've seen makeouts. It's like a really you could see oh. everything in one day. Yeah, definitely. Yes, Public exactly. spaces are amazing <laughs> like that. So if you were a superhero, what oh, powers This is like have? such a hard question for me because one, I would like to read minds, but I wouldn't want to know what everyone's thinking every second of the day, right? But then it would be also cool to fly, mm -hmm. you know, experience <laughs> altitude in the clouds <laughs> and stuff. But then it'd be cool to walk through walls like Kitty Pride. So I don't know, uh, maybe, okay, let me think. Um, so going back to the mind reading, what if you could just block certain terms and uh feelings so it could be like a, yeah, a twitter yeah. filter for your mind cool. i think honestly so I, I kind of think about this like okay so human interaction has like one barrier in that we can't ever completely um translate what we're actually thinking and seeing and feeling to another person right because we all view and information differently yeah so i think that's like kind of like beautiful in a weird geeky way <laughs> So that'd be like one yeah. reason why I wouldn't want to do it. Like, I think it just kind of takes away like the beauty of like trying to see each other. Mm -hmm. But also, what are you thinking about me? <laughs> you know, <laughs> did you see that one Amy Schumer skit about oh, this no. though? And it was so disturbing. <laughs> it was just kind of like, oh, oh no, we don't I feel I think of so many inappropriate things at inappropriate times. So I definitely wouldn't want anyone to take a glimpse in what's going on in this noggin. But on the other hand, if there was a day where we could all read each other's thoughts, maybe after that, we wouldn't all compare our inner selves to everyone Oh, yeah, else's. definitely. We all have the same anxieties and stuff. Some people just make their lives look 
are easy. You know what I mean? They're just really good at it. Social media, social media is such a lie in a lot of ways. Yeah. It is funny how that works though. I am sure that people always found a way to present themselves as more together and polished and all of those good things. But yeah, social media definitely helps with that. It's almost like instead of looking at glossy pictures in magazines, we're looking at glossy versions of each other. And then because it's someone you know, it's all the more disturbing because you're like, oh my gosh, I know them. I guess they are that perfect. Everyone around me is that perfect. What's wrong with me? I have a really photo just like, (laughs) hate it. I hate it so much. (laughs) Yeah. My friend Monica, you cannot take a bad picture. It's like, how do you look that good eating an ice cream cone? Okay. One, they're not even really eating it in the picture. (laughs) (laughs) Well, some people have that skill. And then there's Mm -hmm. that weird app called Facetune. You can like really? make your teeth white. You can make everything look glossy. Yeah. It's weird. It's like, I think you take your mm-hmm. finger and it's like a little magic brush. And you, <laughs> I've only done it once. Um, I thought it was uh, cheating and weird. So okay, I that'd be cool it, though. But... Just to figure it out. Our quote unquote flaws and stuff are like kind of would make us, you know, who we are. So I think that's face, mm-hmm. face tune sounds a little creepy to me. <laughs> and also I think we're all probably going to get to a point when everyone has gotten so good at making mm-hmm. themselves all see them the same that we're probably going to swing the other way of wait. Yeah, I agree. I can't be the only one going to work in sweats. I need other people to join me. Or those dress pant yoga pants that are basically me? just leggings with pockets. I was so disappointed. Yes. So there are these pants that are billed as yoga pants that are also dress pants. Um, they said they look like dress pants, feel like yoga pants. The problem is they feel like yoga pants and on me <laughs> look like yoga pants. Like, no, this is such no, a it's good It's only for idea, like certain like really weirdly like... No, they're not weirdly, but like, you know what I mean? Like for a certain body type. If you could yeah. be on America's Next Top Model, these yeah, would look like dress pants. Legs, okay. Those <laughs> yes. makers. Just not possible. <laughs> I was so disappointed. I want to feel like I'm wearing yoga pants all the time. Uh, right. Looking but then, okay. If you think about it like this, I think about this all the time. Like everything that's like work appropriate and dress and stuff is all made up. It's all made up. Yeah. Well, it's and conformity, I mean, like, right? When someone has to you know, rebel. And I mean, startup companies do it all the time. <laughs> I think it's so comfortable. <laughs> so going back to writing, now that we've gone on several tangents, um, what's your number one tip for writers? Focus on character. I feel that you're not going to care about a book that you're reading if you don't care about the characters. Like, why do you care about what's happening to them if you don't care about them? Um, the same thing is like, you'll, I will watch really badly written shows because of the characters. I watched Girl Meets World all three seasons yeah. because I love the characters <laughs> and it was literally after school special writing, you know? So I feel like some yeah. people or some writers can really underestimate the strength of good character building and in lieu of like, you know, a big flashy plot. Not to say that's obviously not something that you should focus on too, but I feel like character is something that needs a little bit more love and attention. And it will really make your book stand out and resonate with people too. That's true. I feel like no matter what you're writing, the human Mm -hmm. element is the most important. Do you feel like this says something about the emotional life of people? And if so, cool. Right, it's I will like, probably keep reading. Um, let me think of See, it's like, so that's why you have so many different genres. I think it's not necessarily because of what's happening in the, in them, but because 
we act so differently in different situations that we now every different genre is a different way to explore that. <laughs> That's a yeah, great way I, of looking I at it. Like, I like that. to look at stuff in terms of like human connection and things like that. So that's also why I prefer um, focusing a lot of attention on characters too. So what would you oh, love to see everything in your inbox queer. this year? <laughs> everything. Um, no, but I think I would love um, to see some, I tend to like dark kind of stories, like a Kara Thomas, everything that she's ever written. I've loved um, Suicide Notes for Beautiful Girls. Things like stories like that, that really kind of dig into like the kind of nastiness or even prickly parts of girls. I feel like it's, it's a lot different now than the last few years. There've been a lot of different books with like darker narratives, but I feel like girls in real life don't get to be messy. They don't get to be Mm -hmm. uh, dark. They don't get to, they just, they don't get to really explore like kind of the base human patterns of kind of you know how we navigate the world so i'd love to see something like that um i really want to see more queer poc um characters more stories set in lower income neighborhoods but not necessarily about uh struggling in a north uh lower income neighborhood definitely lots of contemporary um, I've been falling in love with fantasy a lot lately though, <laughs> interestingly Aww. enough. So that's really great. I mean, not to say Aww. that I, they, I don't love fantasy, but right now like, I'm really getting into like a really good like niche <laughs> of loving fantasy stories, but pretty much just any genre that really has to do with, you know, girls being able to be messy and do fun things and be reckless. And mm-hmm. that really gets me going. <laughs> I love that because a lot of women need to see something in fiction before yeah, they can imagine yeah. it in their own And lives. I personally, like, I'm super raunchy as an individual. Like, Workaholics is one of my favorite shows, Broad City, you know, stuff like that. And I don't think that girls get to have that kind of gross, like, you know, frat boy or 13-year-old boy humor. That makes sense. That's very, like, kind of cisgender way of looking at it. But that's really, you know... I, I appreciate that though, because I think, um, I think we mm-hmm. could see a lot more bravery yeah. in that way. And, um, you know, taking those risks that mm-hmm. come yeah. with a lot of consequences socially, in real life. Um, it would be so nice to see people, um, acting like full people mm-hmm. versus edited versions of themselves. And I feel like often when you have someone on the page who's too edited, they yes, don't feel yes. like a real person. So I appreciate that. I hope you find that. And I hope I get to read it when you have a uh, Ooh, Just crossing copy, my fingers. So. I need it now. So where can okay, people so find I'm you Twitter, online? Okay, so I'm at Twitter, at Kiana New. That's K-I-A-N-A-N-G-U. My first name and the first three letters of my last name. Um, I also have an MS double, oh, right on my Twitter bio and soon I'll be having, uh, my own agency page on the Donald Moss website, which is at Moss agency, M A A S S agency.com soon. So I'll be all over the place. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, I, I so appreciate so it. Um, I think everyone should go hang out with Kiki online cause you can now manuscriptacademy.com slash 10 T E N. And as you can see, she has a lot of insights about your characters and what you can do to make them relatable and just jump off the page 
So um, any final um, thoughts before this we go? A really cool thing that you guys are doing, Jess, and uh, Manuscript Academy. I feel like it's really great to have accessible resources for writers when, who can't afford to travel and all this stuff. So I think that's super dope. So thank you guys for creating this wonderful thing that we get to be a part of as writers and as industry folks. Well, hey, we have the technology. We have the people. Oh, I we love might that. as well bring Whoa. them together. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us and everyone should go hang out with Kiki. And um, thank you again. We really appreciate it. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. It not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our first pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with first pages podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.